Hey everyone, how's it going? I'm glad to have you here today. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Uh, this is going to be an uh, episode all by myself today. Uh, it's a bit of a heavy topic, but uh, I try to end it in sort of an uplifting way. So I hope that's the way it come across. I hope that you uh, find it interesting to listen to. And uh, before we get into that, I just have a few things to share. The first is to make sure you stick around to the end of the episode, past the outro, to hear the secret message from our mastering engineer, Brandon Yoakum. And I also want to just take a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest levels of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. It's been over a year now since the COVID-19 pandemic shut everything down, and we're still feeling the effects to this day. While it is possible to move about with more safety these days, it's still a good idea to be as safe as possible. In order to be able to serve their customers while acknowledging that need for safety, Houghton Horns has expanded their policies to include a 15-day money-back guarantee with free shipping on all new instruments and accessories. I've mentioned before that they have free virtual equipment consultations to help you make the right choice. So pairing that with multiple easy financing options when you do decide which instrument is right for you, terms and conditions apply, it's clear that Houghton Horns is making it much easier to test drive and purchase the best equipment during our uncertain times. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. Whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you're looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hey, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Welcome back to another episode of That's Not Spit. It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and today it's uh, just me uh, coming at you here. Um, I have been traveling a fair amount recently, and I've been involved with some projects with uh, the musicians of the ASO. And so I've just been kind of behind and and not keeping up on uh, getting guests and scheduling them and making the time. So um, that's why you get me on this episode. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about, I hope this episode won't be too long, but I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about uh, the topic that Kathleen and I spoke about last week and framing it in a different way. So last week, if you did not hear it, we talked about the stories we tell about symphonic music and trying to just share not only what we, me and Kathleen thought, but we got some responses uh, on a form that I put out and just sharing what people who care deeply about classical music, why? Why do we care about it? Symphonic music, why is that unique? Why is that special? Why should people care about it? So that we can sort of gain some language that we all can use to be telling a similar story. Now, I recognize I'm one person, but uh, I'm interested in this and I'm happy to just talk about it. And if you know people listening are able to say, yeah, that makes sense. I agree with that. And I might start talking about it that way or something like that. That's cool. No problem. If not, I'm just going to share my thoughts with you and uh, you can just hang out and listen. So 
Uh, again, a lot of last week, a lot of that conversation was sort of, it came from a podcast episode I was listening to, a marketing podcast talking about when business, you're really trying to figure out what problem are you solving in the lives of your customers and making sure that it's an actual problem that exists and not just something you've made up. So I started asking, what problem do we solve in the lives of our audience? And I couldn't really find an answer. So last week was an unstructured sort of open discussion about what we do, what we make happen in the lives of our audience, what is unique about what we offer as symphonic musicians specifically, but in classical music in general. And so uh, again, I would check that out. It'll give you some context for what this episode will be about. But the framing I want to do in this episode is sort of giving a, some real examples of why this kind of conversation matters. And we're going to use what's happening in San Antonio right now to frame that at best, we need to be able to talk about what's going on and what we do as symphonic musicians so that the people in our communities understand it so that they will value it for what it is and that we're not letting other people who don't care about it as much as we do or who um, you know, have some sort of vested interest in not letting us tell our own stories, uh, tell their version of classical music and why it, you know, it's important or it's not as important or we can't sustain it or whatever. We, we as musicians, the ones that care the most about what we're doing, should be the ones telling the stories because it matters the most to us. And so I think um, San Antonio, I, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what's going on. I'm just going to read a few sentences from this article and sort of discuss it. But I think it's a symptom of um, people, people in communities, people on boards, people on management, just not knowing what it is that we do. They understand the money. They understand that we play concerts of symphonic music, but I don't, I, I think it goes much deeper than that. Like I said, some of the conversations we had in the previous episode and um, yeah, I want to give real life examples of when musicians and um, their managements or their boards are not quite on the same page about what they accomplish and what the, what the effect of that is um, for the musicians specifically, because oftentimes musicians get screwed. I guess that's the easiest way to describe it. So using this article, it's from sanantoniareport.org from the arts and culture section. It's written by Nicholas Frank on September 14th, 2021. And it is San Antonio Symphony proposes cutting size of orchestra by almost half. Now, no one in San Antonio knows I'm doing this. No one has asked me to do this. So I hope that this is something that is okay. If anybody does hear this from the musicians and wants me to take this down, please go to my website, find me on social media, send me a message and say, hey, I appreciate what you're doing, but, but like, don't do this. My only goal is to raise awareness of what they're going through and the situation that it is. And I think in this particular instance, the facts speak for themselves. So I'm not going to have to give any of my own input. I'm just going to say what this article says. I'm going to post the whole article in the description of this podcast episode. So if you want more information and more backstory, you may check that out. 
All right. All that being said, the article starts after an initial contract proposal that would reduce musicians' pay by 50%. The San Antonio Symphony is seeking to drastically reduce the size of the orchestra. Mary Ellen Goray, I hope I said that correct, principal second violinist and negotiating committee member representing the musicians of the San Antonio Symphony, said symphony management is proposing to slash the size of the orchestra from 71 full-time musicians to 42. She characterized the proposal as the symphony board's last, best, and final offer of ongoing negotiations for the final year of the 2019 to 2022 contract. Now, this is not good news, obviously. And... It's just unfortunate that this is a reality for those musicians. And so um, to start with, before we get into my thoughts on it, I would really highly recommend uh, you follow the musicians, uh, musicians of the San Antonio Symphony on Facebook and uh, just try to stay up on what's going on. Um, make sure that, you know, we as musicians need to support other musicians. And um, I, I think that can be as simple as just listening to them and hearing what's going on. Because again, when you read that article, it seems like the facts speak for themselves. We don't have to make any judgment calls one way or another. We just read what's there. And it's like, yes, this is not a good thing for that organization. So um, the thing I want to add to this, and this is going to be, I hope this is okay to say, but this is a reality of our profession. We, many of us, myself, I can really speak for myself, but I, I'm imagining there's other people who feel this way. You know, when we got into this, we wanted to play music with other people. We wanted to focus on all of our efforts, go to the practice room, practice everything, get ready to go, and then join other people who did the same thing and make great music and share the love of making great music with our community. But unfortunately, it seems like we are, there's constantly stories of us having to defend our value, to defend what we provide to the community. And, you know, this is not an isolated incident. And I went and searched and found other examples of orchestras who have struggled. Now, I don't know, I don't know everybody who listens to this podcast, but if you're at least my age, I'm 33 or older, you're going to remember all of this. And if you're younger than me, you may not be aware of what I'm about to, some of the stuff I'm about to share. But I just, I got together about a few different orchestras that have had troubles in the past and I'm going to share them all right now because I, it'll help to kind of make a point that I'm going to make in just a second. So to start with, the furthest back, it would be St. Louis in 2005. They had some financial troubles. Uh, they've come back and are doing a lot better now. But back then, it was a really hard time for them. In 2010, the Detroit Symphony had a major issue with their management. Uh, that's pretty well, I mean, many of us remember that and, and just how hard that was for them to go through. The Philadelphia Orchestra in 2011 declared bankruptcy. In 2012, the Chicago Symphony went on strike. In 2012, the Indianapolis Symphony was locked out for um, a few, I think it was like seven-ish, seven weeks or so. I mean, that was right before I started there. So I got there and was saw the after effects of that. In 2012, Atlanta 
had uh, uh, some labor disputes as well. And then in 2013, the Minnesota Orchestra had like a 16-month lockout. 16-month lockout. 2013, San Francisco went on strike. In 2014, the Atlanta Symphony had another labor dispute two years after the previous one. And then if we keep going, the Fort Worth Symphony had some pretty difficult times in 2016. Um, let's see here. In 2018, the Lyric Opera of Chicago uh, had some really, uh, really, I think they were locked out. It was a lockout or a strike, I can't remember, but that wasn't great. Chicago Symphony went on strike again in 2019. Uh, and then many of us are aware of the Fort Wayne Philharmonics issues that they went through, you know, even in this year. Uh, and then one, you know, special case to me, I'm going to point out is uh, the Alabama Symphony Orchestra in 1993 went bankrupt. I don't know how many people know that, but everybody in that in 1993 lost their jobs, and the orchestra didn't play for five years and came back in 1997. And you know, there are people in our orchestra now who were in the orchestra when that happened, so they have that perspective. And then there are also people who were in the orchestra then who are still in the community, who still uh, freelance and they're still around and playing. And one of the uh, violinists, I believe she was the concertmaster of the orchestra when it folded. I played a gig with her a number of years ago and I was talking to her about it and she told me that uh, she had taken out a loan with the bank to pay for her violin because violins are very expensive. And um, because she didn't have a job, she couldn't pay the loan and the bank took her violin away because she couldn't pay for it. You know, and it's like you get a job and you can't even you could you can't even like wrap your head around the idea that in a period of time I'm gonna lose my instrument because my employment disappeared. And you know, what I hope what I hope that this shows is no one is safe. It's not like only small orchestras or you know, only orchestras in this region of the country. It's all orchestras at, of all sizes struggle. And if you are, I can't remember if I said this, but if you are going to pursue a career in an orchestra, I don't think you're going to be able to get yourself into some sort of situation where you're not going to have to deal with this at some point. And that's just the reality of the situation. And so that's what I want to talk about in this episode. I mean, that's the bad news of what I was going to talk about. And I would like to move on to the good news. The good news is we we need to ask ourselves, so what do we do? And in its simplest terms, we as musicians, I think, need to keep the narrative focused on what we do. Well, what do we do? Well, again, that was the previous episode, just trying to start that conversation. I don't think to some great degree we understand what it is that we do and we create. I think if we are asked to think about it, we can come up with some beautiful answers but I don't think it's necessarily on the tip of our tongue, something that we can discuss with somebody in detail. And we all have family members or friends or you know people at our schools that just don't get it. They don't understand what it is. And I think instead of engaging them, and I'm guilty of this, and instead of engaging them and asking them questions about what they think about classical music and then trying to say, well, I recognize it seems like we're just 
you know, you that common thing, actually one of the most common things is like, oh, wow, that's a, like a job or like you can get paid for that. And it's like, absolutely. But that's not the coolest thing about what we do. The coolest thing about what we do is we actually provide human connection, genuine human connection. And they might say, what do you mean by that? And you're saying, well, the musicians themselves prepare individually, but then they come in on stage and then there's, you know, 50 to 100 people that are all communicating with each other without saying any words. And they're creating this thing that you couldn't create with, without all of them there on stage. So they're communicating with each other. There's a conductor that's communicating with a stick. He's communicating information with a stick to the musicians. That's pretty amazing, but that's not all. Then the musicians and the conductor are creating this musical product that is connecting us right now to the people who wrote the piece. All these times away, Beethoven wrote this piece a long time ago, and when we play it now, it's like we are connecting to Beethoven. And then we're taking that connection to the composer and we're connecting to the audience. Musicians, composer are connecting to the audience. But then also the audience members get to connect with each other because another very interesting aspect about what we do is that we are creating something that is a once-in-a-lifetime moment. Even though you may hear Beethoven 5 somewhat regularly, it's a, a very popular piece, that time with that audience and those musicians and those at that date and those uh, conditions and that hall, you'll never hear it the same way again. And so we're creating this experience that the audience has and they connect with each other over, we were here. We didn't miss out. And they go, I had no idea that that's what an orchestra did. I thought you just played music. It's like, well, yes, of course, that's what, we, that's what we do. But we're not necessarily thinking, well, what do we make happen? We, are, we can say we do this and we practice this many hours and we play these different types of music and that's so valuable. But what's the thing that they are going to miss out on if they don't go? How do we tell that story? And I think an unfortunate reality of being in an orchestra is because jobs get delineated and delegated. Musicians are the ones that play the music and managements and boards are the ones that get people interested in it. And so we have abdicated the telling of our stories to people who may not get it. We've abdicated to people who may not care as much as we do. I'm sure they care because it's their job, but they may not care about it to their core like we do. And I think this is part of what the issue is. As we have one side of the, of the, of the organization who has to pay attention to the numbers, they have to, but if they're not seeing it as, well, these numbers matter, but we need to tell our audience a story that makes them feel like if they are not there, they are missing out. You know, when sports left during the pandemic, I've talked to a number of people that said when it came back, it's like a part of their life returned. Well, do people feel that way about symphonic music? Is that just because our, our culture doesn't value it? Is that because 
people don't value it? Is that because it's just not in demand? Is that because it's an old ancient art form that people used to care about, but it's just outdated now? Or is it because we haven't told a compelling enough story for people to truly understand what it is that they will experience? And that's kind of where I'm at. So I wanted to frame the previous, again, frame the previous podcast episode with some of the realities of what we do and what we deal with. And I, I hope that uh, this is not coming across as um, sort of dark, I guess, because I'm starting to believe, you know, when I, when I wanted to join an orchestra, I basically was implanting what it was like at school, which is playing great music with my friends. And I thought that's what a job was going to be like. And that's like sort of what a job is like, but it's not all that you deal with. And to me, that was a hard reality to face. And it was, I had to sort of work through it. And I think many musicians, the result of that can be that they become jaded. And I want to be real about what an orchestra is like so that anyone listening who wants to pursue that is able to make a decision based on fact, truth about a life in an orchestra so that they can go and say, I will be different. I want to affect positive change so that we can end this cycle and we can start really presenting to our communities something that we believe in and that we follow through. When we believe that we make human connection, if we play and act like we believe that's what we do, people will feel it. And again, there's all sorts of other reasons why. There's, well, live music specifically and, you know, and, and how to talk about the value of an orchestra and its community. Those are some of the questions we addressed, right? But if we don't understand how to competently talk about those types of things, then we let other people control the narrative. And everybody's opinion is important. I'm not saying that that side of the narrative isn't important because they are seeing things that we don't see. But we as musicians, and my this is my opinion, I speak for myself right now, we as musicians need to be the one fighting for the value of what we do, and we need to understand what that value is. I think I've more or less made my point. So uh, I will stop ranting right now. Um, the last thing I'm going to say, and I will, um, I will uh, stop, but I want to say real quick, I'm going to put this in the description as well. As I was sort of t looking for orchestras that have gone on strike and trying to get some history about this, I, f I stumbled upon this blog post. Uh, looks like it's from an FAQ that Doug Yo, the former bass trombonist with the Boston Symphony, did. And the question he's answering is, so many orchestras seem to be going on strike these days. Do you have any feelings about this unfortunate situation? And the first the first sentence that he writes is, there's no subject I can think of outside the realm of religion or politics that can result in as heated a discussion as the subject of player management relations and the modern symphony orchestra. And that's how he frames this. And then he gives his opinion. And I just think if you're interested, you should check out what he is saying 
because it's you know we we need to have these conversations. You may not agree with what he says, but it's like we have a perspective. We um, it, it's it's such a hard thing to broach, and we I'm only, like I said, this podcast episode is me speaking for myself. I'm not representing anyone. I want to make sure that's clear because people might not agree with me, and that's okay. But I'm trying to again the purpose of this podcast. I wanted to draw some attention to the really unfortunate um, situation going on in San Antonio, so that their story is out there and it's heard. The second thing I wanted to do is give some context for this is kind of a reality using history as an example, a reality of being in an orchestra that we will have to be prepared to deal with this and then possibly what it is or what a possible solution is to dealing with it. And that's just my opinion. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any uh, questions or you want to reach out, I'm going to put the form that I talked about in the description as well. If you need to get in touch with me, you can do that on that'snotspit.com or that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I would really appreciate a rating and a review if you uh, found this episode to be interesting or helpful. Uh, don't forget to share it on social media as well. I want to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. It means the world to me that there are people listening to this and considering these ideas and that it seems like even in some cases it's helping people and and giving them good information and good perspective and it just it means so much and i hope that i can continue to steward this platform well in a way where it continues to be honest and that um not i'm not trying to be controversial i'm just trying to be real and I hope that it comes across that way. Always remember, stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time. Hello, 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 that's not spit fans, and welcome to the secret message of today's episode. Today's secret message is, well, maybe not so secret, but maybe so. And it's that you, yes, you, are an amazing human being. I know this. I know that you were born and you grew and now you're here. And you're amazing. I don't know how you did it. I don't know how any of us did it. But there it is. Pass it on to someone you love. Hope that they pass it on to someone they love. And remember, shh, don't tell Ryan.